0: Welcome to STEM Unplugged, a monthly podcast designed to help you learn about STEM initiatives and to help advance STEM awareness. Now here's your host, Kelly Green.
1: Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm so excited. This is Kelly Green, the Chief Operations Officer of SciTech Institute, a collaborative nonprofit organization making STEM connections in Arizona and beyond. In this episode of STEM Unplugged, We will be keeping cool with STEM over the summer. Our guests are John Adams, Deputy Director of Biosphere 2, Cinda Sutton and Stephanie Boleyn, Park Rangers at Karchner Caverns State Park, and Vanessa King, Director of Education at Tucson Children's Museum. On the call tonight, we also have CSO of the Year, Chief Science Officer Nikhil, and we're really excited to have all of you joining us for STEM Unplugged in studio and on Zoom we really want to talk about ways to keep cool with STEM. So Chief Science Officer Nikhil, could you share a little bit about what's your role in your community, at your school, and what's one way you've been keeping cool this summer?
0: Um, Hey, everyone. My name is C.S. Nikhil. I'm a fourth-year Chief Science Officer at North High School. So that basically means I'm a STEM ambassador for the STEM Initiative. Um, I'm able to bring whatever I like, whatever I think is cool uh, from be meetings with STEM professionals and take you to my school, tell the principal, uh, talk to my teachers, tell them what I think as a student's point of view uh, is a great way to engage with other students. Uh, one way we've been keeping cool is actually going to clean up the Caesar Chavez Park. Um, we were able to um, plant 15 new trees um, and get seven new bags of trash as a way to get involved with the community.
1: That's exciting. And it's really neat because we have so many STEM professionals on tonight for you to interact with. We actually want to talk about the um, owned by the University of Arizona is Biosphere 2 in Oracle, Arizona. It's a major regional attraction and serves as a laboratory for controlled scientific studies, an arena for scientific discovery and discussion, and a far-reaching publication Public Education Center. So John, let's start with quick highlights of what's going on at Biosphere 2. Share a little bit with our listeners about your role and current opportunities.
2: Well, thank you very much. Yeah, no, Biosphere 2 has been part of the Southern Arizona landscape now for 30 years. And I think most of us learned about Biosphere 2 early on as this place where eight people were gonna be sealed inside. Um, today, the operation is very different from how it was originally intended to be used. Those people were gonna be isolated, and we're isolated inside, they spent two years inside. But more recently, what we've done is we've repurposed it. As we know, uh, the climate is changing around us and it impacts the resources that you and I are so dependent on, but we don't quite know how to sort of predict what's going to happen and what those impacts are going to be until they've actually happened. Biosphere 2 is essentially a time machine. So within Biosphere 2, we have a tropical rainforest, we have an ocean system, we have a marsh, we have a savanna, a thorn scrub, we have a coastal fog desert. Uh, We have a space that we repurposed into what we call today the landscape.
1: Oh no, I think he froze. So when when he comes back, Nikhil, I'm curious, would you ever be locked inside like the Biosphere 2? They had eight people that lived inside for two years with no contact really to the outside world. Would you ever do that?
0: I've been actually a huge fan of the Biosphere. I, I saw like a, a video or like a movie of it a while back and I, I heard about the whole failure thing, but I think that it's just so cool. It's a cool idea how you're just closed in. And I really like the um, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's like this air thing, how they regulate the air so it doesn't just explode. And I just the physics, the the, the just the stuff that goes behind it is just crazy. I, I would love to be in there. <laughs>
1: I'm so excited you say that because we should probably take a CSO field trip. I actually got to go inside and experience that whole like suction air. What do they call it? Compartment that does that. I actually looked at the apartments where the um, inhabitants lived and looked at like their kitchen. It was super cool. You would to- it would blow your mind. So we definitely need to get down there. So a couple more guests. Karchner Caverns is the 25th state park in Arizona which was opened to the public in 1999. It's a world-famous cave for families to come and explore. Visitors have an opportunity to take a guided tour in the Rotunda throne room all year or the big room in October to May. And each room is littered with brilliant colors and pristine calcite formations from ceiling to the floor. that visitors come and discover and enjoy so, here in studio tonight, we have Cinda and Stephanie who drove up to hang out with us because they love podcasts. We want to know can you share with our listeners more about Karchner Cavern State Park?
3: Yeah. So, it's kind of a, an unusual cave. You know, most people, when they think cave, they think cold, they need a jacket. Um, the environment there is actually warm and humid. You know, we say it's about 71, 72 degrees, 99 to 98% humidity. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> most from Arizona do that, do say that. <laughs> Um, It's just a a unique experience getting underground, definitely in Arizona, going to from dry desert to humid, moist air underground. Um, It's just a unique experience to come out and take a tour.
4: And on some days, the uh, the humidity is almost welcome on certain <laughs> days. And uh, the temperature isn't too bad. Sometimes when it gets really hot, I tell folks that it is uh, actually nicer inside than it is outside. It is. And the
3: cool thing is, you know, in Arizona, you don't think about water. Mm-hmm. Um, but water plays such an important role on how it was developed and that it's currently still developing because the water pocket's found in the limestone. So it's, it's a good way to bring in water based on Arizona.
1: Well, I think it's really neat that you're representing the state park as rangers too, right? So what does the ranger two mean? And can you explain (laughs) that to me? I was looking at your form like, okay, park ranger two. (laughs) So there must be levels.
3: So yeah. So they're seasonals and they're called park ranger specialists. And then, and we do have the park ranger twos, which is what Stephanie and I are. And it's just a permanent ranger. So we're full time. Um, we get the benefits and then we get to be at that park the full year oh, is what okay. it means. Um, and so it's it's a nice experience, but you get a lot of more, you know, you have more tasks to deal with. So like me, um, I'm not just a park ranger too, but I'm also a certified interpreter trainer, um, which is meaning for the agency-wise, for state parks, me and one other ranger, are um, we go out and we actually train the other park rangers to be certified interpreter guides. So be able to present programs wow. in a specific manner. That's incredible.
0: Yeah.
1: We're so blessed that you came on. <laughs> I'm excited we're friends. Yay. Yeah. Awesome. So we also have Children Museum Tucson as a nonprofit educational organization in Tucson, Arizona that provides fun, play-based, interactive, hands-on learning experiences for children and their families through in-person exhibits and programs, as well as now virtual programs and outreach. So Vanessa... We are so excited because the Tucson Children's Museum has been a long-standing partner of the Arizona SciTech Festival. What are some of the ways that guests can keep cool at the museum this summer?
5: Well, we always joke that that the summer is one of our, our favorite times of year because, of course, kids are out of school and ready to do stuff. And so... One way that people keep cool is come and enjoy our 13 exhibits that are air-conditioned.
1: Yeah, um, but you keep it like a nice, <laughs> cool, 72, no humidity, unlike,
5: <laughs> unlike the cave. Exactly. But we're currently running a lot of our in-person programs again, which is something we've missed the last year. Oh, yeah. um, so we've been inviting uh, our, our community back into our museum space, which has been updated. Every single one of our exhibits has, has at least one new thing in it. Uh, And it's been really fun to finally get to share that with actual children and have them play and engage in those exhibits. As kind of that play-based hands-on institution, we really think that it's important for kids to be able to get that that hands-on play, to be able to experiment and discover and try things out. Uh, I like to think of it as failing in fun ways Mm. uh, because you can't necessarily learn something until you try all the other ways to do it part of my job is also working with volunteers. And when I give them the first tour, I always tell them, in the exhibits, there's no right way to play. Uh, There are safer ways. (laughs) There are ways that the grown-ups think about, but kids always find a bunch of other ones. And so it's really fun to be able to see that happening uh, in our exhibit space again.
1: That is exciting. We actually toured the Arizona Science Center today. So we're planning for our Arizona STEM Ecosystem Summit, which will be Wednesday, September 29th. And you're all invited, by the way. So there were so many people inside and so excited. And they were just interacting and excited, I think, to be around other human beings, even myself, like it was a little overwhelming because there were a lot of people, (laughs) but it was also exciting to be around watching that joy of, I see it in your um, logo in the back, joy of learning, joy of discovery and joy of play. There's something really important about that hands-on learning. So again, thank you all for being here because, you know, at SciTech Institute, we're always excited to get new individuals connected Especially that might not have ever, maybe Vanessa, you might not have known John or the ladies from Karchner Caverns, like maybe you wouldn't have bumped into each other. So it's really exciting for SciTech to connect the people and then the opportunities. So having all of you on the call showcases Arizona and the opportunities to explore STEM. So let's go back to discussing that value of interactive play-based learning. As we discussed, many families are ready to unplug and experience hands-on STEM but are we ready and is it safe, is a question that is plaguing quite a bit of our citizens in Arizona still. As the pandemic continues to make an impact on ways individuals engage, what's really different, I would say, let's start with Karchner Caverns. What's different today versus how it was run before?
3: Being the old new ranger, I like to call myself there, I can tell you there's definitely a change. Uh, We went down, we used to have lots of tours during the day, running about every 20 minutes. And Currently, we only run 10 tours a day. Um, we limit the amount of people up to 20 people per tour um, that goes through the cave. We also do rail cleaning quite often now. Um, using a hydrogen peroxide based cleaner just because it's safer for the cave environment uh-huh. for that. Um, we also do limit the amount of time or like kind of the distancing when we do our tours. Now we've had to kind of change that a bit on trying to make sure that we can get people through areas that it might be a little tight, a little harder to social distance. So we try not to stop in certain spots. We kind of changed up our tours a little bit just
1: because of that to make it safer for our visitors. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and for you as rangers too, right? Keeping you safe. What about at Biosphere 2, John? Are, have you Do you have some new updates and things going on with you guys?
2: Yeah, we do have some updates. So originally Biosphere 2, uh, you know, people would go through similar to Karstner Caverns and large tour groups. And, you know, we had to rethink the way in which people were going to experience uh, this amazing facility and uh, provide social distancing. So, what we ended up doing is we developed an app so people can self-pace, self-guide. It allows us, allows people to socially distance. We created uh, some new entrances and exits, one in the desert, one in the rainforest. Uh, so, it helps to facilitate uh, ease of access, uh, one-way traffic throughout the facility, uh, but still gives people, I think, a very comprehensive experience. So, we're really excited. Uh, to have people like everybody is back on site. It's great to see people. And, you know, I I will say for our patrons and our audience, people have been really good about following the guidelines that we put forward. So, you know, my hat's off to everyone uh, because we're all just looking to be able to get back to some sense of normalcy.
1: Yeah, that uh, overall respect for safety, understanding what your facility is providing and also other patrons. I think that's, you know, commendable to be noted to all of the people that are listening. Like, we want you to come. We want you to respect the rules so that everybody can keep coming. So that's great. What about at the uh, museum, Vanessa?
5: One of the big things that we've been doing is sort of limiting that capacity, understanding that usually summer is our busiest time, but keeping those numbers lower just so that it's not super packed and people are able to keep distance uh, so folks are able to feel more comfortable. We've also found, we've updated our outdoor space too, and initially we thought people probably aren't going to want to be outside in Tucson summers. In fact, they do want to be outside, and that's been really fun too. We have a new bubble garden, and it's awesome to see children and their grownups making enormous bubbles. That has been a fun project for our director of exhibits who did his own science experiments to figure out how to make the perfect bubble. And so we're seeing a lot of outdoor outdoor activities as well. And we're excited to be able to continue doing that as the weather cools yeah, that's uh, going a into point. fall too.
1: So I, I want to kind of go around the room again of what is your favorite part about your location? I don't know if that's you know allowed to be shared, especially in the roles that each of you play, but John, is there a specific part? Okay. So I'm brand new to Arizona and I am have to come to the biosphere too. What do, well, actually, Nikhil. Nikhil wants to come down and check it out. He's watched the videos on YouTube. He wants to come explore. What do you think is the one thing you have to experience while you're at the Biosphere 2?
2: Well, the great thing about coming to Biosphere 2 is you can experience it all. So that's, I, that, that's one caveat I said. But my favorite location inside Biosphere 2, just because it's so starkly different than the surrounding landscape, is you know, we have a fully established tropical rainforest inside. So you walk into there and you think that you're in the jungle of a, a South American location. It's, it's, it's just incredible. And it's so contrasting, like I said, to that surrounding environment where you have lush, you know, large leaf plants, the humidity like Karstner Caverns is significantly elevated. Um, so that's my favorite location. But I work with a colleague of mine, Katie Morgan, and she's our Marine Systems Manager. And she would debate that heavily because the marine, the ocean system, For her and having a beach, a literal beach here in Southern Arizona is unique too. So,
1: yeah, when I visited, he was Nikhil was mentioning the um, the air intake system, and I was really excited to tell him I've actually stood in there when I came down to visit, and (laughs) it's pretty powerful to watch how you regulate everything within Biosphere Two. What about you, Vanessa? Anything? I mean, I know you just talked about the bubbles, but are there any other specific exhibits that are just your favorite?
5: Oh, absolutely! I mean, I will say, I moved all the way from the Marshall Islands to work here, oh my so gosh. I am in love with the museum. Um, one of my very favorite spots is the make uh, the maker space. To me, I love being able to watch children explore the tools. I love getting to show kids this is how you use a saw, this is how you get to use a hammer, this is how you use a leather punch, um, and then to be able to see their creativity. Uh, where they're not just replicating things, but pulling things out of their incredible minds and putting them to, you know, in into reality. Um, so that's absolutely my my favorite spot, um, both because I like to be able to play and make things and tinker, <laughs> uh, but also because I really like to watch how children and, and how they work with their grown-ups to be able to, to make those things.
1: I think that's fun to watch. I was previously a teacher, and watching the adults get just as excited as the students is always a great thing to enjoy. What about you, ladies?
4: So I think my favorite uh, formation that we have within the cave is uh, an area called the Big Wall because you walk, you go through this, um, not exactly small passageway. It's just like a little hallway. You go through this hallway. There's some cave bacon on the ceiling. You're excited about that. Whoa,
1: whoa What's cave bacon?
4: Cave bacon is a drapery formation, like a curtain or a ribbon that has three or more colors to it. Oh. Um, and it looks like bacon. I always tell my <laughs> tours that it doesn't taste like bacon, so try not to eat it, but, uh, it does look like bacon. And then, so they're excited about the bacon and then they round the corner and it's just, I've been, told it's described like a waterfall or like an organ, uh, just with all kinds of uh, stalactites coming off of it and stalagmites growing up and uh, different types of stalactites and stalagmites. And you can just see all different kinds of formations in it. And it's just this big wall of just flowstone, just like a big frozen waterfall almost.
1: Very cool. Yeah. Claire's sitting over here who organized the STEM Unplugged guest. So thank you. Um, we're all kind of nodding like, yeah, we're definitely going to have to take some field trips. <laughs> so we'll be down to Tucson, I think, in a couple of weeks. And then we'll head out to John and Oracle. And then we'll head over nine miles south of Benson, mm-hmm. right? All right. What about you? What's your favorite?
3: Oh, it is so hard to decide, honestly. But I think my favorite is when you go into the rotunda room. And you're bringing your guests. And honestly, it's my guests. That's my biggest favorite part is the guests. Um, Some of them never been in a cave. Mm. And when you get into the first area to which we kindly nicknamed an overlook so we could talk about Mm. it, (laughs) (laughs) it's this overlook. And down below it, um, before the lights come on, it's just dark down there. Um, And it's exciting to get their idea of what do they think it is. And then we go down there and it's actually a mud flat down there. Um, And it has the evidence of the original trails of the two discoverers. Oh, wow. So it's really a great way. And it makes gives me pride to show kind of what Gary and Randy, the two discoverers, did just to come into the cave. You know, they veered around broken formations. Um, they knew what they were doing to try to protect the cave. And I really like bringing that in and talking about the mud itself and that, you know, that's where humidity is coming from in the cave. And so it, mm-hmm. it's amazing how something so natural to us above, like mud, is also so interesting down below. And that's kind of my favorite portion of it.
1: So hearing all of those descriptions, Nikhil, and we get to decide, I know you already have kind of leaning toward Biosphere 2, but what what do you hear as, gosh, are you going to be a junior this year? As a junior yeah. headed into high school, like what what do you see for sharing these opportunities with not only your peers, but um, even your friends? What, what kind of struck you hearing all of them describe their favorite spots?
0: I think... You know, as a, as a teenager, bacon sounds kind of cool. So. <laughs> but, Is that just um, because it's
1: food in general and most yeah. teenagers eat quite a bit?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I've been to the Cartoon Caverns before, and um, I remember being told not to touch the walls, um, and I wanted to touch the walls a lot. <laughs> um, but Wait, wait, yeah. let's ask
1: why. Why, Park Ranger, <laughs> are we not allowed to touch the wall?
3: Ah, good question. You want to take it, Stephanie? Sure.
4: Yeah, our our formations uh, are need water to grow, and we have oils and bacteria on our skin. And uh, if we, if you've ever put a hand on a mirror or on glass and it's left behind residue, uh, oil and water don't mix. And so you could potentially stop those formations from growing. And also with our cave being so humid, it's just the perfect breeding ground for all kinds of fuzzy science experiments that yeah. we don't want
3: growing within the cave. We love
4: science experiments outside of yeah. the cave.
3: <laughs> and it's kind of cool because there's uh, areas that we can show our bats hang and we can kind of bring it in because bats are mammals and we can talk about... Do you want to look at a cave like this where they've touched? It's black, color, you know, there's no colors to it anymore. The formations aren't growing. Or do you want to see what you're seeing? So it's kind that's of a, a good point. to bring it in. So,
1: Nikhil, no touching the wall. All right. What else did you What else did you hear that you would be interested to
0: share with your peers? Of course, the makerspace. Uh, we all, as kids, we love to just play around with stuff. So I think the makerspace is just everyone will like it. It's not just a specific type of thing for certain passions. Um, and then lastly, the biosphere. I think the rainforest is very cool. You have to tell your, your co-worker that I can't swim, so I'm a little biased uh, <laughs> to the rainforest. But yeah, the ocean, it's cool, but it's scary.
1: Well, the funny part is there's a boat, but it it's the idea of... I mean, have you been to the, the real ocean, Nikhil? Have you been out to the coast?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but not as scary. Never,
1: it's yeah. much calmer at the biosphere <laughs> too. But John, what, what would you say to that?
2: <laughs> well... The, the really cool thing is that you don't have to swim, you can still see it and, and sort of grasp the science that we're doing. But um, the, the amazing thing about Biosphere Two is we control the weather inside. So right now we've got a really violent thunderstorm that's hitting, um, but inside we can control those conditions. And, and from a science perspective, that's what's so cool is that um, just like the makerspace, you can create your science experiment in so many different ways inside biosphere to to look at how these systems are going to respond. You can change the temperature. You can tell it it's it's going to rain or it's not going to rain for 70 days. Um, And that's, what's really amazing. You can do the same thing in the ocean. You can change the temperature or change the water chemistry. Um, so I think, you know, whether you're a a newly budding scientist or one that's been around for a while, um, it's, it's truly amazing to have a tool like this and it's located right here in our backyard. And you can visit it. That's what's really amazing.
1: Yeah, I think the best way it was described to me is that it's the largest science experiment on Earth. And, you know, noting that you don't want science experiments in the cave, but they're exciting for Nikhil, like to kind of work on that chemistry that's happening in biosphere, too. I know you guys and when I remember when I visited, there was a very large soil experiment with water. What exactly was going on in that section?
2: Yeah, that's that's a great question. So um, we've obviously changed the look of biosphere, not exteriorly, but the inside portion from what it was originally designed and conceived uh, to do. And that space you're referring to, we call LEO, the Landscape Evolution Observatory. This is where the former agricultural space was for those eight people who were sealed inside biosphere, Two and they grew their crops. But today, you know, hydrologists would tell you one of the most compelling questions we have is the fate of water in semi-arid environments? So it rains in the mountains, how much water ends up downstream for you and I to use and what impacts the quality of that? I, I mean, you all probably see that in the cave, just how those dynamics change from year to year. And, and sometimes you can explain it and other times you can't. Hydrologists will tell you, once that water goes below the surface, it is very much a big mystery still. And LEO um, is designed to help us better understand it. They created these structures to represent sort of the early stages of a watershed. They embedded over 1800 sensors and samplers. They started out with a volcanic material. So geologically, this is relatively young and they can actually watch it change and evolve. But more importantly, not how water runs off of it, how does water run through it and how does it change as you change those conditions? So the idea is, is can we better inform folks like you know the, those that are running Karstner Caverns as those mountains around them, how they change, whether it's development or natural, how it may impact the amount of water that gets into the cave or doesn't.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. It, it obviously water is a huge topic here in Arizona. Anything you guys wanted to add about, you know, the impact that it does? You mentioned it's how it grows and how things happen in the cave.
3: Yeah, and it's it's always been a, a topic um, there at the park about the water because that is the main point of the cave is that water coming in. Um, and we try to do stuff ourselves there at the park. Like we have a rainwater harvesting tank now that helps feed our landscaping. Um, but there has been drip studies done. I think they started back in about 2011. Um, I haven't heard the conclusion based on it but determine like from a storm that comes in in a day how long does it take to get into the cave system mm. and how much is that really impacting the cave so there's still studies like that going on so we can get a better understanding of
1: that process yeah that whole mystery right john in between <laughs> <laughs> so vanessa what about water at the you know, the museum, are there any specific exhibits that are kind of exploring water in Arizona or even, you know, I've seen different things where students pour water in and they watch it go through different interactive, like gears or shifts or anything like that. But do you guys do any on-site water experiments or even travel to the Tucson classrooms and kind of engage
5: with schools? We do. So we due to COVID had stopped doing in-person field trips, but we transitioned to doing virtual outreach. Uh, And so one of the outreach that we do is the Wonders of Water. And so our education specialist talks all about the wonders of water to, to children in kind of the early, early grades, because here in Arizona, of course, the discussions around water is vital. Um, And that was something for me, not not being from Southern Arizona, that I just didn't understand in the same way. Um, And so it's exciting to be able to do those sorts of experiments with with the children and the hands and being able to do those hands on things, even at a distance when it is virtual.
1: Yeah. And then, Nikhil, when you were planting the trees, right did you have an opportunity to work with a specific um stem professional that was talking about how to maintain the park or I know did you have to dig the holes too like how what did you have to do
0: Yeah we had to dig the holes um and there was a specific way we had to do it they were telling us to make sure that there's a hole here so that they could put the piping for the waters and um yeah there's a we didn't really have like a very in-depth way of uh like a stem professional telling us but yeah, the water was definitely something we had to worry about and make sure that we did it right so the water can help the trees.
1: That's excellent. So let's talk a little bit about you know those specific learning opportunities when families or guests or just individuals want to come to your location. Back to what programs do you offer? Just kind of hit the highlights of... If I were a parent and I wanted to come visit, or if I was a teacher, how could I get engaged? Or if I'm just, you know, a um, 25 year old that wants to take a, you know, day trip, what kind of engagements or programs do you have right now at Biosphere Two, John? Any specifics going on?
2: We do. So, you know, the the big part now for for learning is is the app. So you can download it through. Google Play or the Apple App Store. You don't have to be on site. So you can learn a lot about Bias for Two by just downloading that app and, and going through it. Um, but when you come, you actually get an opportunity to traverse through the biome. So similar to, you know, what they do in Karstner Caverns or uh, the Children's Museum with the hands-on activities, you get to immerse yourself inside of the physical space. So you're in and you enter into the coastal fog desert and you can see through hydrologic or, or water presence or absence, how those systems change, because that's how we change the dynamics or the look of these different systems and how we can have them inside is, is there simple differences in the amount of water uh, that's given in a given area. So the coastal fog desert receives significantly less water. It's a more drier looking climate. And then when you get to the tropical rainforest, it's starkly different. So. Um, I think, you know, those types of lessons, if you're a parent can talk about and look at plant adaptations. So desert plants, you see, they don't have to worry about gathering light, they have to worry about losing water. So that's why we have really small leaves on them. rainforest. You're worrying about gathering light, you're not too much worried about losing water. So that's why the leaves are typically really large and comparatively. So, you know, some of these subtleties are, I think, you know, valuable as people come in. If you're a teacher, um, you know, the great thing is, is we do do some virtual field trips. So like the Children's Museum, we had to shift gears and think of new ways. Um, I think that's still going to be really popular with a lot of, of folks, especially as we move into the coming years, depending on whether you can or can't do field trips. And then, you know, if you're a teacher and want to come out to buy us for two, We've had teachers who come out and do their own virtual recordings and record lessons for their teacher, for their kids back in the classroom. We've also had teachers who will work with us, develop some lesson plans specifically around what they're teaching, and then they'll bring their class out and walk them through bias for two, illustrating those particular topics that they're looking to highlight. So you can really approach it in any direction that you would like to.
1: Oh, my goodness, Nikhil, that sounds like definitely the way we get you down there is we say, come on, Nikhil, you need to go make an, a lesson video for every single um, biome. I think uh, you just found a way in. <laughs> All right, Sydney, Stephanie, and what's going on at uh, th- any specific outreach targets? or? So we are uh, currently trying to
3: revamp our school groups. So we actually do have curriculum out there for teachers. Um, and we're trying to draw in teachers as much as possible so we can educate the kids on programs. Uh, the cool thing about the curriculum is it's actually out there for families if they want to use. Nice. Um, and so one of the, like the cool activities that's in there is building a cave out of sugar cubes oh. um, to kind of teach in the aspect of the water coming in, dissolving away at this the sugar to make that pocket in the cave, um, which is really neat to bring in. And so we're trying to get a group together to help us revamp because that was built back in 97. Mm-hmm. um and so i'm the new environmental education coordinator there at the park and so that's me and stephanie's on the committee too to try to revamp all of that in the curriculum so we're trying to build a group to go through our curriculum and make it a little bit more conducive to net oh my
1: goodness amanda Rincon's in here with us tonight too educational outreach for SciTech institute we totally need to start a working group what that would be fun and, yes and bringing the in the time. student voice okay it's happening <laughs> <laughs> any anything you want to add stephanie um, I think
4: that we have a, lots of other things. You were asking about families not and individuals.
1: So What we, if they don't want to go in the cave? If they, right, if they don't scared. want to go in the
4: cave. Uh, we have uh, several hiking trails that they could do. Uh, we have a guide specifically for our uh, Foothills Loop Trail that they can go around. It's an interpretive guide so they can kind of follow along oh, and, nice. at different spots along the way. Uh, and that trail provides lots of very pretty views of as, as the mountains surrounding the area, the dragoons, the whetstones. So those are kind of things outside of the cave. If they've already been on our regular tour, we also have other tours as well that we
3: offer. Yeah. So with COVID, you know, we had to shut down quite a bit of stuff that we used to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of them that we now are offering again is the helmet and headlamp tour. Well, that sounds fun. It is. It's really neat. So it's it's, we actually give you a helmet. We give you a headlamp. Um, We do a completely different tour. Uh, A lot of times it depends on the guide and what they were going to tell you and what you're going to do. And so we take them in where that's the only light they see is what they give. So they get to explore (laughs) and actually discover all these parts of the cave that on a tour we may not tell you about. Yeah. So it's really cool. And then the neater part is... um, and we tr- do try to warn family of this, is we try to give you the experience of cave darkness. It's a kind of darkness that you'll never experience in your life unless you're inside of a cave. Um, so we do have everybody sit down in a safe area um, and we count it down and then we have everybody <laughs> turn off their headlamps and the guides are like the last one to turn it off so they can get that experience of what bats go through through the cave. So we kind of try to draw that in too so they can understand that process.
1: That sort um, of sounds like a great experience.
4: What I love about the helmet and headlamp tour is it's very self-guided in a way, you know, we're not telling you what to look at. You get to look at it and explore it
1: for yourself. Oh, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you can ask the guide about it. What about wildlife? Do you have any specific wildlife in the area?
4: We sure (laughs) do. Yeah. Personally, I am very interested in birds. And so we have well over 150, almost 160 species wow. of birds that can be found at the park, and then also within Guindani Canyon, uh, which is connected to our park. And so there's lots of opportunities for the birders out there. We also have a, a number of mammals that can be seen within the park, uh, gray fox, uh, javelinas. We have a ringtail uh, that has been spotted at our Discovery Center, actually just hanging out there. Uh, coyotes and kawadi, as well as uh, several other mammal species uh, in if you want to talk about any of the others.
3: Yeah, so we also have a variety of snakes too that come oh, out. Mm. All right, moving <laughs> don't, don't get scared, don't get scared. We'll go to Vanessa. <laughs> um, which is really neat though because we do relocate if they're in an area that is dangerous to our visitors. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we have them out there so sometimes it's kind of neat to get to see something like that as long as you're safe about it. Yeah. You know, in the distance, uh, we have tons of lizards. Uh, in fact, we found a skink in our, what we call risers in our bathroom that we had to save. <laughs> and what was cool about the skink is that it had a split tail. Mm -hmm. And so we were starting to look at it. It probably didn't lose its. Somebody was telling us that it didn't lose its tail properly, possibly. So, I mean, those are cool things that you get to find and see there. Um, Plus the bats, of course. Mm -hmm. We're all about bats there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so we do mist netting as well that Mm -hmm. we... Um, you know, we catch the bats and we get to see what's there. The ones that we, we know the most of is the, the myosvelifers, which is the common cave bat. And we get to kind of see that and learn more about them.
4: Mm-hmm. The mist netting is really neat because it's a, a research project. So we have a researcher who comes in who is trained to, to catch the bats and then can take different measurements on them, see how they're doing. I got to experience it a few weeks ago, and we caught a uh, southwestern myotis, which she's, the researcher said that she can count on one hand how many of these
5: that she has caught before. What so a it was cool really, experience. really neat
4: opportunity. Yeah.
5: Wow, excellent! What about you, Vanessa? A big thing for us is wanting to make sure that the whole family is involved in in science learning we we sort of recognize that not every grown up feels comfortable and confident around science. Uh, I agree. Yeah. And so sometimes that means that when when their child is interested, they're like, "Oh, I don't know what I'm doing." And so we have several programs that really encourage the grown-ups to learn alongside their their children so that they can also have excitement and can also feel confident in doing science things. So every Saturday and Sunday we have family brain boost on Saturdays, that's bilingual in English and Spanish. On Sundays, it's uh, in English. But we do a science experiment. We talk through what, what they're learning within that science experiment and allow grown-ups to kind of ask questions of the person facilitating that. We also do generation creation, which is a makerspace activity, and that's every single day. Again, working with children a little bit more facilitated because we also recognize when you're... In a makerspace, some kids are like ready to go and other kids don't necessarily feel as comfortable with that open-ended process. Yeah, what am I They're supposed to do? What do I do a right answer? Yeah. Right. And it's hard when it's like there is no right answer. <laughs> the, do you find that with the ad-
1: the adults feel that way too in the makerspace? That there's
5: what am I supposed to be making right now? <laughs> Absolutely. I think sometimes for the grown-ups, that's it's even harder. Yeah. Um we sometimes will have kind of activity cards to sort of Inspired children, and we've seen grownups who kind of hit roadblocks where they're like, Oh, but you don't have that specific toilet paper tube, so we can't make this. And right. it's like, Oh, but look at all the other supplies we have that you could use instead. And so, in some ways, it's guiding grownups through that too, so that they also have that divergent thinking. And then, one of my favorites uh, is monthly we have a maker space, um, as special class. Um, that's facilitated where we bring out the power tools that's cool. um, and they can make um, some some stuff working in a, in a much smaller sort of intimate setting. That is a lot of fun because
1: learning how to use like a circular saw or you know a sawzall or even a power drill that's that's not always you know something that students get their hands on with you know shop class not being expected nowadays. I mean I know it was important when I was a kid and same with home ec but That's really cool. It sounds like a fun place to, you know, get out of the heat. And it's a little cooler in Tucson right now, (laughs) Um, but it's still pretty warm. So, Nikhil, as a chief science officer, what are some of the ways that you could connect with all of our professionals on the call tonight to kind of inspire action plans or even share with the CSOs that are coming in that you're going to be training and, you know, congratulating? Are there anything that come to mind?
0: Yeah, and the the whole time... Um, the the presenters were talking, I was just thinking of action plan ideas. For example, Vanessa's Makerspace, I think that's just a great way to get uh, kids involved. And especially the kids' parents, because those are the people that's basically inspiring these kids to get involved. Having both of them learn together is just a great idea. Um, I think the Biosphere Two, the the virtual field trips, and the normal field trips are just a great way for uh, kids to get involved um, and actually see different kinds of the world without having to go to the different kinds of the world. Right. Um, imagine, world.
1: imagine telling Vertic and all of the CSOs in Kenya that they could go to the Biosphere Two app. I think that would be yeah. kind of cool to get share that out and you know get other CSOs
0: engaged. Excellent. Exactly. what about the cavern? The cavern, I, I think the helmet and headlamp one was just, a, I want to try that. <laughs> can I go? Um, I think just exploring that is uh, is a great thing to do for fun, but there's also a ton of STEM behind it. And uh, you can always tie that together with an action plan and get students involved with that kind of passion of STEM.
1: I think there's a real experience uh, in a personal experience too of owning your space and being in the moment with that type of tour, even, you know, any of the locations hit it, going to the biosphere Two and really thinking people lived in here and were, it was a capsule and they were growing their own food. And just those eight individuals, like really being in that space and thinking about at that moment. And then of course the hands-on learning at the museum is just so key as a former educator. I think it's, it's really powerful. So As we kind of round out the rest of this conversation, we really want to tell our listeners that we encourage you to get involved in the STEM community. Maybe you're an industry professional seeking ways to make a new impact. Maybe you're a student searching for a mentor or a community collaborator who's hoping to meet the right people to help make it happen. So John, we want to really make sure they know how to get in touch with you. What is the best way to find out more about Biosphere 2 or even reach out to you?
2: So, We've, we've got a great website. We are revamping it, so it will look different if you come back and visit it here in a couple of months. But um, so that our website is www.biosphere2.org, uh, and that's a great place to start. All of our folks are on there listed. I'm included, so if you want to reach directly out to me, our Director of Education and Outreach is there. Uh, all of our researchers are listed as well, our phone numbers and Um, you know, our emails. And I will say our team prides themselves in answering, picking up the phone when they can, and also returning emails. So, you know, we're here and and we get a lot of those calls. So that's, you know, if you have a specific question, if you want to run an idea by, I mean, one of the things, you know, we've done for the kids in the past, and we're hoping to get back to is we actually have on-site accommodation. So, you know, we've done, and we've had a number of Phoenix school groups who will, you know, their sixth grade field trip, Uh, Finale is spending a couple days here at Biosphere Two and exploring the facility and and doing some things uniquely that they couldn't do in just sort of a half day field trip. So, you know, if you have those types of ideas, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm happy to answer those questions. Or, you know, if you're if we need to hand you off to somebody, we've got some folks and some team members that can help you know shape that visit for you. If you've got an idea about how you might like to explore or use Biosphere Two,
1: yeah, and you actually have quite a bit on site, so it if you can get down there for two or three days, you'll, you still won't experience everything. So um I think they're called casitas. Is that what you
2: call them? They are. Yeah. We, we, we've set them aside. It's not, so it's not a hotel. I don't want to, you know, lead anybody astray. Um, but, you know, if you have a conference group or if you have a student group that you want to bring, that's um, how we've structured uh, the use of those.
1: Yeah. They're pretty cool. So Claire's also here with me tonight. So we need to think about maybe a working group excursion or ecosystem. It's a it's a great place. So if you can get down there, Nikhil, maybe a CSO leadership, you know, excursion We'll will definitely we've talked about it pre COVID. So maybe now we'll be able to make it happen. Sydney and Stephanie, how can people or Sydney and Stephanie, how could people reach out to you?
3: So um, one of the things they can reach out is to our website, um, definitely the school groups, if they want to reach out to learn some of the curriculum as well as how to get a tour um, that'll be geared based on what the teacher would like us to try to kind of bring it forth, is they can go to our website, which is azstateparks.com forward slash Karshner. Um, and then or they can just visit the agency's website altogether, which is azstateparks.com and then find a certain park. Maybe ours is not exactly what the school's looking for or family's looking for. We have tons of other parks um, that can hit a lot of different areas of Arizona and learning. The other thing is, if teachers or kids would like to reach out to talk to somebody about how to be a ranger, some of the stuff that we do, or anything, they can actually email me, and I could pass them on to who um, in the agency would be beneficial for them, or I can help them. And my email is just s s u t t o n, so that's S Sutton at azstateparks.gov, and that's one of the ways. And then Stephanie,
4: yeah. And if anybody would like to reach out to me, I can also help answer and forward things on. My email is s. B O L E Y N, so that's S. Bolin at easystateparks.gov.
1: I think we definitely need to follow up with you as well, Stacey, about the uh, um, birding opportunity. Okay. I know we have a hobbies month that we want to focus on, and then Vanessa, what about how can we find out more about the Tucson Children's Museum?
5: Like the others mentioned, our website is probably the best spot. That's where we have all of the information about our outreach, about the different um, weekly activities that we do, and that is www.childrensmuseumtucson.org that also includes links and contact information for all of our staff so if you're looking for me or someone else from the education team including the person running our bilingual programming our information is located on the website Um, and if you're interested in checking out our virtual content that is on our facebook page and so all of our stem experiments are up there as well as mindfulness videos, story times, uh, et cetera. Oh, that's great. I think we'll definitely need to go
1: reshare through the Arizona SciTech Festival page, Facebook, and SciTech Institute's. Excellent. What about you, Nikhil? How could people find out more about the Chief Science Officer program?
0: Uh, so following the theme of the chief science, the website, I mean, uh, you can go to Um, But mm-hmm. a great way that I'm involved with is the Perspective YouTube channel. Um, the Perspective YouTube channel is something that was started by kids and is being re- led by kids. Um, and we film episodes every month and we put out an episode uh, talking about highlights of what CSOs are doing all over the world. And it kind of just gives a perspective for uh, <laughs> uh, into what we do and it's it's pretty fun um, if I do say so myself uh, so you should check it out Humble
1: brag, he is the producer of every show so he's a very talented young man so I wanted to tell everybody thank you so much for joining us for this episode of STEM Unplugged not only do we appreciate our guests but we appreciate you, our listeners if you would like more information you can contact us at scitechinstitute.org this is your host, Kelly Green And we would be glad to discuss how you can get connected.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of STEM Unplugged. We encourage you to get involved in the STEM community and stay connected at scitechinstitute.org.